This is the Tactical Leader Podcast, where we're on a journey of self-mastery and true leadership. I believe that in order to lead others, you must first be able to lead yourself. And in order to lead yourself, you have to first know yourself. If you want to learn the tactics to get to know yourself, to lead yourself, and to lead others, stay tuned to hear from industry experts as I unpack the tactics that they've used to build their business, build culture, and lead others. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Tactical Leader. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Debbie Collard. We're going to talk a little bit about her experience from the military and into overall leadership lessons that she is now applying to the boardroom and with several clients. Before we begin, I'll remind you, this show is brought to you by Advancing Line for Veterans. If you're a veteran that wants to get on a stage or on a podcast, please head over to atlvets.org. Find out how we can help you do just that. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Zach. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm excited to have you because, of course, as a fellow veteran, we're going to have a great conversation. I always love chopping it up with other veterans and different perspectives. And I think you'll have a great different in perspective from your experience. But I, I definitely want to give the audience just a, a smidge of what that looks like. And it's going to be just a smidge because I think if I talked about your entire background and all <laughs> your accolades, we'd be here talking about that the entire time. But overall, you were a 20-year-old drill sergeant. It was where you started in your leadership journey, overseeing hundreds of young, impressionable, terrible teams going through boot camp, as we all did, to where you transitioned to being an executive at Boeing. You had a 30-year stint at Boeing that was really marked by transformative leadership roles. And essentially where you started learning your ebbs and flows attached to the leadership metrics that you wanted to bring into the world. And that led to several accolades, including the Malcolm Baldridge National Quality Award that you actually won twice. And you've been on several different boards from the California Council for Excellence, the National Baldridge Foundation, doing several different things, even being the first female chair for the board of the Baldridge Foundation. And the accolades essentially keep going from there. Before we dive too far into that experience and that journey, can you just tell us a fun fact that we might not be gleaning from that impressive bio? Yeah, I've got one for you. My first job ever at age 12 was detasseling corn. So for those of us from the South, say that one more time. <laughs> detasseling corn. It, so is that all the stringy things that you had to pull It's all the, yeah, all the, the little feathery bits yeah. on top. So there's male corn and female corn no this is not a birds and bees lesson but there's male corn and female corn and when you're trying to control pollination of corn you have to rip all the tassels off of most of the stalks at a certain point in their growth cycle when you're 12 and want to earn some extra money this is like the best game in town when you're in corn country so we'd get up super early in the morning get bust out to the fields and we'd have foreman telling us what to do. And then we had our first paychecks. It was just absolutely awesome. But the work was absolutely terrible. So for a first job, that was quite the uh, eye-opener. <laughs> yeah, that's where I'm very blessed to have not been raised in the Midwest because I feel like that's <laughs> a, a different world than what I grew up in, just slightly. But obviously, I, I mentioned the first piece was the military, and that's where you started the whole journey. Can you talk to us a little bit about why you joined the military, what drove you to join and do the, the aspects of that career and that career choice? Absolutely. 
So I grew up in the Midwest, as you mentioned, and um, I'm the oldest of five children. And our parents made it clear from the beginning we were going to be on our own after high school. They're, they couldn't afford to send us all to college, even though they encouraged all of us to go to college. And I wanted to do that, but I didn't know in what. And I just wanted to get out there and see the world. So a good friend of mine I was working with at a grocery store, not detasseling corn, but another interesting job that I learned a lot from, said to me, she goes, hey, I'm going to join the military. And then another friend told me, hey, I'm going to join the military. And I'm like, okay, what's, go what's all about this? What's going on with all this? And they said, so I'm going to get college paid for. And I'm like, okay, I'm more interested in it. So I went and talked to a recruiter and went in at 18 years old. I wasn't 18 when I graduated high school. I was 17. So I had to wait until I was 18. And then I went in the Air Force. And it's funny that you say Air Force and drill sergeant in the same breath. They're not even called that in the Air Force. <laughs> not even, right? I was going to make a little bit of fun being an Army guy. I just can't imagine you being angry yelling at 18-year-olds, but it sounds like maybe there was something along the lines there. <laughs> I actually, I have this philosophy that comes from a quote by Walt Disney, whatever you're going to do, be a good one. And so I always tried to be the best I could be at whatever I was doing. So I did yell at people because that's what they have you do. But in the Air Force, they're not called drill sergeants. They're called training instructors or student training advisors, depending on which aspect you're in. And I didn't really apply for that job. Let me be clear. I was fixing missile guidance systems. I was not loving it because it was me the missile and the test equipment. Not a lot of human interaction there. Because of my status, I was able to apply for a special duty assignment. So I did that. I said, oh, I want to work with people. And they used the old phrase, Air Force needs come first. And they said, okay, your special duty assignment has been approved. You are now going to be a training instructor. And that sounds, I, I don't know what training looks like in the Air Force. I want to poke fun. Something about pull up a chair, sit down, make sure your mouse is, I'm kidding. It really does not look like that. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. But having to poke a little bit of fun, but what, what ended up happening is you essentially transitioned that into a, a career that I would imagine some of those tactics, the skills you learn in the Air Force transitioned really well, because then you got to roll with Boeing uh, and you stayed with Boeing for 30 years doing several different things that I, I want to definitely dive into. But yeah. did you see a natural progression from the Air Force into a role at Boeing? Did, were you just that fascinated in that it industry? Was, it was a little bumpier than that, I would say, Zach, because I didn't go directly to Boeing from the Air Force. So I said, hey, I'm going to go in here because they're going to pay for my college, right? I got distracted, got married, was focused on other things, and my husband was also in the Air Force. And so life got in the way, didn't end up getting my degree before I got out. I did have a lot of experiential learning, of course, but didn't have the degree. And so my first job, I ended up working four jobs as I got out of the military because it's hard to transition at the same level you're at when you don't have that degree and experience that they're looking for. There's not a lot of civilian jobs that require you to fix a missile guidance system or to yell at people all day long. So that was hard transition. I ended up working for the Department of the Interior for a while, the Minerals Management Service within there. 
loved that role. And then my husband got a job at McDonnell Douglas, what was then McDonnell Douglas, which eventually merged with Boeing. That's the connection. And I said, hey, I don't want this long commute anymore. Maybe I can get hired on there. So it would look like if you were looking at the pieces of paper, oh, she was in the Air Force and she ended up in in aerospace. That makes perfect sense, right? It was a little less direct route than that. But I did love, once I got into the company, I had so many different jobs and I loved everything about working in an aerospace corporation. So I never looked back and never regretted the the decisions I made to move to different jobs at different times. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating because a lot of people, and everybody knows Boeing, right? It's a huge organization. There's a lot that they do top to bottom from supply chain to business in general, right? There's a lot of different pieces of that pie. Looking at a lot of what you focused on, you're looking at operations, integration, quality improvement, different aspects attached to communication and leadership and different aspects, different areas where it seems like getting better efficiencies was a big focus for you from what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Can can you give us an idea of what that career track looked like for you and how you built onto that? to come to, at the end of the the Boeing piece, you were really focused on operations integration. Yeah, I was really focused on program management, really across the company, but it started in a piece of program management, I would say, and all the pieces came together over time. But like most people, I started in a role that they would hire me for. So when I very first started the company, I was in a, a clerical role in an organization. And very quickly, they asked me to lead the clerical pool in the area because they saw that I had leadership capabilities. So after that, I ended up going into budgets and scheduling and then moving from there, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I kept gathering all these pieces up, I would say, into a basket. And I firmly believe that anything that we learn or experience in our lives goes with us from there on. And no one can take that away from us. And it's what we decide to do with it. And we may not use all those pieces all the time, but they're there to pull on if we need them. And I had, fast forward, I had just come back from a maternity leave after having my twin daughters. And I came back sooner than they expected me to, one hand not talking to the other hand. And they said, oh my gosh, what are we going to do with this lady? And so what they did was they were using the Baldrige criteria nationally, national Baldrige criteria to assess their organizations within the company and see how everybody was doing, right? Are we doing well with this criteria? And the reason was that the CEO of McDonnell Douglas at the time was part of the initial people who got Baldrige made into a public law. And so he said, I have to use this in my company, right? So he had a bunch of people trained in the company to assess opposite organizations. So if you were running an organization and I was in a different one, I may come in and assess your organization and then give you a report. Here's the things that you do well. Here's the things that might need some improvement. So they sent me to this training to be an examiner for this internally. And I get to the training And I am the lowest ranking person in the room. I didn't have any rank. Basically, I was just an individual contributor, but there were all these directors and above 
Now there's quite a few steps before you get to director. So that tells you the level of the people in the room. And I'm thinking, I think I came to the wrong meeting. I think I was supposed to be here. And but I, they had sent me there. So I sat down, I participated, I asked questions and didn't know it at the time, but I was getting bit by the bug of performance excellence and quality. And I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense to me. It's organized in a way it makes sense to me. I love everything about it. So I stayed on that path. And even through my different jobs, I always used this criteria as a roadmap for how to do what I was doing and leading the organization. And so I used that I used that throughout. And it also, I would say, guided what jobs I chose when I had the ability to choose a job and say, oh, I want to apply for that or I want to apply for this. It, it was guided by, am I going to be able to do these kinds of things and make a difference in that organization and make it better? In a lot of that experience, obviously, it's a great impact with Boeing. It's great on the job training slash figuring it out as you grew up in the different levels. But what a lot of that shifted into is your organization now, Seasons Leadership. Mm -hmm. And I love the flair you put on it where it's the different seasons that people are going through. But you have four acorns that are really the core of Seasons Leadership that's leading self, leading others, leading business, and leading community, all that you believe are critical elements and holistic leadership development. Did you derive those from the experience at Boeing where you were like, hey, these are the four areas that I see leaders are lacking or there are blind spots attached to them? How'd you come up with those four things? Yeah, I co-founded Seasons Leadership with a colleague of mine from Boeing. We worked together before each of us graduated from Boeing. We don't say retired, we say graduated. And we got back together, found out we were both coaches, got back together, said, let's reconnect. We said, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could help people with leadership and give them experiences when they're ready for them versus when someone tells them they can have them. And that's what we'd like to put out there in the world. So that's what we initially started with. And so we developed seasons around using a metaphor of the seasons of nature. And we based it on you're going through these different things in spring, you're awakening, planting seeds, et cetera. And so we developed something for each of those four seasons and developed a leadership program that was in the four, four seasons. When we were doing that, and I'm glad you brought up the acorns because there's a side story to this. When I was at Boeing, and this is why the answer is yes to what you asked me. When I was at Boeing, one of the vice presidents I worked for really made an impression on me because he said, I consider myself an oak tree with all this experience and all these things to share. And you're one of the acorns. And you're putting it out there in the world. So I just remember that to this day. And if you're listening, Randy, you can see it made a big impression on me. We said, okay, what are the four things that are important to leaders to be a holistic leader? You're not just in charge of yourself. A lot of people, when they get a title or a role, they think they've arrived and they're like, I don't have to worry about anything now. I'm in charge. Leaders don't think that way. Leaders always thinking about other people as well, but they want to show up as the best version of themselves. So leading self, leading others, how do you develop and empower that team that you are serving as their leader? 
leading business, because there's lots of aspects of leading a business that are more complex than if you're leading a small team, and then leading community. Because if you're balanced, you're out there in your community, whatever it is, like both of us in the veterans community, right? And serving that community as a leader as well. So that's where the four acorns came from. And we're, we like to keep with our theme of nature and the seasons. Yeah. And I love that because beyond that, the, the next piece of that, with it being seasons leadership, you kind of correlate the phases or seasons of somebody's growth with spring and awakening, summer and cultivating, fall and integrating, and then winter and transforming. Sounds very Midwestern to to uh, the rest of us. Um, <laughs> yeah, my business partner is from the Pacific Northwest, so she can't relate in that way. But I love that, that that's the on brand, right? You've really established yep. a brand. I love how you correlated of going through the different seasons because I think a lot of leaders, as they get promoted up through the ranks in the corporate space, I'd be curious your feedback. It seems like the top salesperson becomes a sales manager, but they might not have those leadership qualities to be a good manager. So the the season of leadership isn't quite there for them yet. Have you seen that happen? And is that how you break it down to to correlate the clients that you're working with now? Yeah. See, any anybody can be a leader. You don't need a title. You don't need to be a manager to be a leader. But if you are a leader, you also know how, have to know how to manage. Right. Those two have to go together. But not all managers are leaders. They it would be a perfect world if they were, but they're not. And so, yeah, we see it going together in that way. Wherever you are, you can learn to be better in that position. You can learn to lead better from whatever position that you are in. People saw things in me, Zach, when I didn't have any title at all, or they wouldn't have given me the opportunities they gave me. And I wouldn't have been a training instructor, to use the proper term, at such a young age, right? If I didn't have those leadership capabilities and someone saw them in me, I couldn't have named them myself at that age. There's no way. But working with a, a coaches over the over my different career and other mentors over my career, they would see things in me that I didn't see myself. And they would say, here's strengths that you have, Debbie. Boom. And here's some areas you might want to focus on a little bit to get even better. So we see meeting people wherever they are in that journey and helping them take it to the next level. It, it seems like that's such a, maybe failure's too strong of a term, but an oversight of a lot of leaders where they skip that piece of like mentorship, or maybe there's a scarcity mindset, right? I don't want somebody I'm mentoring to leapfrog me or surpass my excellence. Is that something that you, you're having to combat a little bit in the corporate structure, or do you not see that as much anymore? I would say I see we see a couple of things. One is the person who's maybe new in a leadership role or a higher leadership role or in an area that they're not an expert in still sometimes feel like they have to know everything. And reaching out for help from a mentor or a coach is a sign of weakness or a sign that they're not fit for the position, which is not true. The opposite is true. Asking for help and knowing where you need help and partnering with people to get that help is a strength, right? The other side of that coin of people being mentors or being threatened by people coming up underneath of them 
I would say this to those people. And we do sometimes see that. This is like, oh, I'm very threatened by this person because they're obviously an up and comer and really going to be something great, but I don't want them to take my position. I don't want to give up my role or look like less. When we see that happening, usually that leader is not the one or manager, as the case may be, is not the one asking for help, right? Because they, they don't think they need the help. They're like, I know what I'm doing. I'm good at this. I don't need to ask for help. Everybody needs help at some point, right? And so they can't even see they need it. And what we often see, Susan and I, in that particular case, is the person, people who work for that leader asking for tactics about how can I deal with having a boss who's threatened by me and won't let me excel. Yeah, I think that to your point, would be more of the struggle, right? The boss that is acting that way, the leader, quote unquote, that's acting that way, probably doesn't even have the awareness attached to that piece or has the awareness and doesn't care to change because that's how they've always been. And off of that, you, on your website, let me put this piece out there first, seasontheleadership.com. You have everything from your podcast, blog, of course, everything you're doing with the company. One of the blogs that you submitted a while back is it talks about how you take advice as a leader and how much it matters in that overall communication hierarchy, for lack of a better term. But a lot of that is not just being a good listener or how you're, how uh, active you're listening. Can you talk to us a little bit about as leaders, if we're approached with something like we just talked about where somebody comes and says, we're stepping on their career or we're not letting them advance. But a lot of bad leaders are just be like, whatever, I'm not worried about it. Can you talk to us a little bit about how impactful something like that, receiving that advice or receiving that feedback, how we can receive that well and then reiterate that communication in a more effective way? Yeah, absolutely. Being a leader is about being open to feedback. You're not always going to hear things that you love hearing because none of us are perfect. We're human beings, right? So there's going to be something we need to improve on. But if we close the door to that and we make it very clear, because people are always watching leaders, leaders are always on. There's no downtime if you're a leader. People are watching how you act, what you say, and whether those two are in congruence, right? But they're going to know if you've got a closed door policy, even if you say it's an open door policy. If it's a closed door, I would tell the people working for you, use other tactics because this person is not in listening mode. If you have an open door, there are many tactics that we can help you with, that a coach can help you with, that a mentor can help you with about how to receive that feedback. But one big tip I would tell any leader about getting feedback is be detached as you're getting the feedback. So don't get emotional. Say thank you when you receive don't, the don't feedback. Don't take it personally, Even if, right? Like, don't yeah, don't take it personally. It. Even though it may be personal, right? right? Maybe intended personally. If you get emotional and go to that place, you won't really be receiving the feedback. So you have to view feedback as a gift. Like any feedback. If they say, I really like how you do this, thank you. I really hate how you do this, thank you. What you choose to do with it is your choice after that, but be open to receiving it. That's such a difficult thing for a lot of folks, right? Especially, it seems like my generation, the millennial generation, 
and Gen Z, as the younger generations are coming into the workplace, I, I think opinionated might be a understatement where in the military, if you did something like that, you would be in, in the army side facing the dirt doing push-ups. But I also feel like the millennial generation has created that why shift, questioning everything, feeling empowered or entitled, might be a better word, to give feedback like that instead of just understanding it's the boss and because they said so. Have you seen a shift in that culture happening where that's becoming more friction point as the younger generations are coming into the workforce? Absolutely. Absolutely. All those generations you mentioned, and uh, my daughters are millennials, so I've gotten to see that firsthand when they share with me what's going on in their workplace. Um, but a lot of my clients are also in those generations. And um, there's, it is a big deal, this community, this, excuse me, this generation gap that happens in business, because you can have how many generations in a workforce at one time, depending on where it is and what it is. And as a leader, whatever level of leader, not only do you have to be open to receiving that feedback, but you have to be open to considering that you don't know everything. You don't know the right way to do everything or the best way to do everything. Especially with technology and, and technological Especially technology, right? I'll give you an example. Susan and I just needed to hire a social media expert because we know we are not good at it comparatively to, and we might even be afraid of it at some points, right? But we hired a person. She's amazing. Shout out to Sandra. She's amazing because she just takes for granted things we wouldn't even know to ask about. So as a leader, it's about being open to that. Okay, where am I really good? What am I really good at? And what do I not know so well? And not being threatened by asking for help in those areas. Because there, people are not afraid to come in and tell you there's a better way to do this. So you got to be open to considering that better way, having the conversation. Yeah. And I think that's such a technology is such an easy one to create that reference. Even Instagram for me is one of those. I might be on them a little bit, but when it comes to the algorithms that change by the hour, all the other things, I don't necessarily enjoy social media either. So if you don't enjoy the task, it's hard to accomplish the task. So it's a funny thing that I think that impacts a lot of people right now. No matter generation, where as a, a millennial that is looking at Instagram, like there's no reason why I should be considering myself the expert over Gen Z that was born with Instagram in their hand already, right? Yeah. That's exactly. just the funny part to me attached to that. But I'm really curious. I know you're doing a lot of great work with Seasons Leadership and obviously some amazing experience. I found it with the leaders, it's always a fascinating piece to learn what has motivated them what they're really focused on and bringing to the world. And I've asked all my guests, and I'm curious your piece of it, what, what's the legacy that you're wanting to bring into the world with your leadership, with your coaching, and then paying that forward into future generations? Absolutely. Susan and I, when we were talking about developing this course, initially it was just what could we do together to have fun again because we so enjoyed working with each other. And then we said, when we were coming up through a corporation, it, you couldn't get certain training till you were a certain level or a certain title, and then it had to be sponsored. And we said, what if people had access 
to how to be a great leader. And they could, they were only limited by their own ability to take in the information. So no limitations, they could get access to everything about being leaders that we learned over 30 years in that business. And so that's what we started out with. And that's still what we do, try to provide that to people. But then that led to our mission. And our mission is to make leadership excellence a worldwide standard. And the reason for that is, Zach, there's tons of mediocre or even bad leaders out there in the world. They're, they're, we learn from leaders either by watching what they do and emulating it or watching what they do and saying, no way do I ever want to be like that person. So they're leading people one way or the other. We want to shift that tide and make it about excellent leadership and that that's a worldwide standard. Yeah, I love that because I think it's such a valuable aspect that so many people aren't focused on in the early days of their career. And uh, we were blessed getting it instilled via the military, right? Not everybody gets that great experience. So I think you're in a, it's a great mission. I love hearing that as part of the legacy that you're working toward. And I know you just mentioned the course. We've talked about blogs, your podcast. You have a lot of things happening that you're rolling out to the public. Can you talk to us a little bit before we let you go? Where can they find you? What's the best link? How can they follow along with your journey? Absolutely. So the best link to go to is probably our website, and that is www.seasonsleadership.com. On there, like you said, Zach, you'll find everything, our blogs, our podcasts, a little bit about us, how to work with us, how to contact us if you just have a question about leadership, all that's on there. And breaking news, if I can announce this here, we are getting ready. We started with a course and we ran it for two years and then we paused it to focus on these other areas. But we are, we have revamped that course and we're going to be launching it by June of this year. So you'll be able at that point then to even get more stuff from us. We also have a subscription site on Patreon and it's patreon.com slash seasons leadership. So you can find us in lots of ways. We're on all the social media platforms and you can find us through that too. Again, seasons leadership. So it's easy to remember and, and find us if you want to. And I have a, a call to action for people that I'd like to put out there. And it's this. If you're a leader and you want to be an even better leader than you are today, what are you waiting for? Get on there, get on our site, get on some site, start learning about what it takes to be an excellent leader and moving that direction in your journey. I love it. It's huge. It's impactful. Debbie, thank you for the resources. Great aspect for leaders to get moving on their journey. And I want to remind everybody. You're, of course, going to join us again this Friday for some tactics. We're going to talk about leading from the middle and how you can be a leader no matter what level you're at. So thank you so much for that and all the great insights, Debbie. And I look forward to chatting Friday. All right. See you then, Zach. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Tactical Leader Podcast. If this episode helped you along your journey of self-mastery and has inspired you to do more, I challenge you to head over to myvoicechallenge.com so you can find out how you can discover your voice, claim your independence, and build that thriving business that you've always wanted. Again, that's myvoicechallenge.com.